You guys ready to study the word tonight? Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Chicago O'Hare Airport is named after Butch O'Hare. And his story is quite interesting because he fought in World War II as a pilot. His aircraft carrier was the Lexington. He was out just on a normal mission, just flying routine day. And he sees nine Japanese bombers heading straight towards his aircraft carrier. It was about two weeks after Pearl Harbor. And so him and his buddy decide they've got to attack these nine bombers. The other plane that was with them, these fighter, you can't really call them jets because they had the propellers, the fighter aircraft were called the Hellcats. And they found out that the other aircraft, the machine gun was jammed up. So it was left to him. And instead of running in fear, he was able to shoot down six of these bombers and save 2,000 men's lives. And so, of course, then the airport is named after him. So that's one story of a man from Chicago. But there's also another man from Chicago, and his name was Easy Eddie. And Easy Eddie was connected with Al Capone. He was his lawyer, and he was connected with all of the uh, dog racing that was illegal. He actually had the patent on the mechanical rabbits that would go out in front of the dogs. And it was normally always rigged, of course, uh, to the mob's favor. Whenever they got caught for uh, murder or prostitution or all these other illegal things, it was Easy Eddie that was the one that would defend them in court. Uh, But there was another part of Easy Eddie's life is that he was a good father. He had two children. He had a son and a daughter. He really lavished them with every physical thing that you could imagine, spent time with them, didn't miss uh, their events. And as his son was a senior in high school, he wanted to try to get into the Naval Academy. There was something that money couldn't buy, and it was integrity and a respectable life. And Easy Eddie knew that his son couldn't get into the Naval Academy unless he made things right. So he went to the authorities and he testified against Al Capone. And Al Capone went to jail for 11 years. This is what Al Capone said as he got arrested, as he said, Easy Eddie, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. And sure enough, he was gunned down. Easy Eddie was gunned down coming home from work. And when he died, they found this in his pocket. It was a poem. It says, the clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or an early hour. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil. With a will, place no faith in time, for the clock may soon be still. And you might be saying, what's the connection between Butch and Eddie? Eddie was Butch's father. And tonight's study is looking at the heart of a father. So here Eddie laid down his life so that Butch could have a fresh start. And he went into then impact history, and this famous airport is about him. And what I find about the Apostle Paul is he has the heart of a father. He wrote to the church of Corinth in chapter 4, and he says, you have 10,000 instructors, but you have very few fathers. I think that's probably true in your life, and my life as well, as we have a lot of people that instruct us. 
I mean, we get taught from books, we get taught from podcasts, we have teachers, but there's very few that take that role of a father in our life, a spiritual parent in our life. And for Paul, he was a spiritual father to the church of Corinth. God had allowed him to start this church, and this church is at a dangerous point. So now he's writing this letter to them to try to keep them close to Christ and present them as a bride to Christ. And as we'll go through this passage, we'll see his father's heart come out. If you've been studying with us through 2 Corinthians, I think tonight this epistle really starts to make sense. You maybe have wondered through this study of why is Paul so concerned with what the church of Corinth thinks about him? Why doesn't he just get over it? Why does he keep belaboring this point that they would trust him again? And the reason is, is because they were about ready to fall into false teaching. They're about ready to be taken over by false uh, apostles. And so he's saying, if you, if you don't listen to me, what's at stake is the truth. So let's pray tonight as we look at the heart of a father. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you're the ultimate dad. That you speak truth to us, that you're always there for us, that you discipline us. And as we look at Paul and, and how Paul was a spiritual father to the church of Corinth, we pray we would be encouraged and that we would have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. Paul's saying, would you please put up with a little bit of foolishness? What is the foolishness? Paul is going to go over his credentials that would hopefully have the church of Corinth listen to him again. He's trying to regain that place of credibility. He says, this I know is foolishness, but it's necessary because truth is at stake. So verse 2, for I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I've betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So as we look at the fatherly heart of Paul, the first is his motivation. What what motivates Paul as a father? And he says, I have godly jealousy towards you. And he uses this illustration of a virgin being presented to her husband on her wedding day. At this time for Paul, it was the responsibility and the job of fathers to present their daughters as virgins on their wedding day. If they weren't virgins, then it was the father's responsibility. And so this father would take that upon his shoulders. It would be his task to walk with his daughter to that point where she's ready to be married. And the illustration is we're the bride of Christ and we're being prepared to be married to Christ for all of eternity. And it shows us the kind of love that Christ has for us And the love that we're to show in return to him. Paul uses this theme in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 25 through 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ does for us, the church. And we as husbands then are to model that in the way that we treat our lives. But Christ is washing us in the water of the word so that we can be presented faultless as this beautiful bride to Christ. So we think about the kind of motivation that Paul would have as a father. And this is an intense illustration of motivation, isn't it? Fathers, you feel this. If you have 
daughters, don't you? You want to protect your daughters. You want to prepare your daughters. There's, there's nothing really more that stirs us as dads than our little girls. Now, if you doubt this, just come to the father-daughter dance that we'll be having in February. And you see the dads light up and get Twitter-pated over, over their daughters. And, you know, see a dad get angry. See a dad get cross. And you'll, you'll see someone who's messing with, with his daughter. I, I have the privilege of doing weddings, quite a few weddings. And it's such a, a beautiful moment when a, a father walks his daughter down, down the aisle and then gives his, his daughter away. And, and usually it's some type of expression like this. I don't know whether to hug you or to kill you right now, right? Yeah, that, that, that's the emotion that's going on uh, with the father. And then Paul says here, I have this, this godly jealousy towards you that you're to be devoted to one. You're to be devoted to, to Christ. We think of jealousy in a negative context, but it can be holy. God's jealousy towards us. A spouse's jealousy towards their, their spouse. There's something holy that, that is about that. You're not supposed to share your spouse. And Paul says, I have this kind of jealousy towards you that you would be completely devoted to Christ. And notice the emphasis here, betrothed you to one husband. That's what's at danger for the church of Corinth is they're losing their love, their devotion, their purity, their sincerity for Christ. They're cheating on Christ. And that's why Paul is addressing them as a father. Now, that's the motivation behind what he's sharing. He's saying, I want you to be pure. I think this is a hard concept for us to get. We go, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm the child of God. I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. But what kind of bride are we for Christ? Are we prepared for this ultimate wedding day? Are we devoted to Christ? Or are we a stalemate? Is there not much passion there? There's not much devotion. There's not much fervor. And we'll see what's coming against the church of Corinth. What's about ready to rob them of their devotion. So here comes the caution. First, we've seen the motivation of a father. Now we see the caution or the warning of a father. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Fathers, hopefully, are motivated by the right things. Hopefully, as dads, we have a good, godly motivation. Also, a good father is going to warn. Can you think of some warnings, possibly, that your father gave to you over your years of growing up or even into adulthood? It's, it's a big part of being a dad. Sometimes you have to sound the alarm. You see, look, you're, you're in danger here. And because I'm your father, I'm not just your friend, I've got to let you know what's at risk. And so Paul says, here's the risk, here's the danger, is you're going to be deceived just like Eve was deceived in the garden. Now think this through. The air of the garden, the tremendous deception that took place in the Garden of Eden is about ready to be repeated so Satan hasn't gone into retirement. It's not like he's gone, wow, I got Eve, I tricked Eve, I got her into deception, got her into sin, got her into a lie, so now I'm done. He continues in the same way of craftiness. And the church of Corinth is in jeopardy of being like Eve and being deceived. The certain deceived her by craftiness. This word craftiness, it means trickery, seduction, 
few weeks ago, maybe less than a week ago, my, my in-laws, they live up in Denver. My father-in-law, he got into what he thought was a fender bender. It turned out over time that his car was totaled, and the insurance company's like, here's your money, go find a new car. And I kind of like to look for cars on Craigslist. That's how we tend to find cars, Amber and I. And I've kind of been sharing this means with them over the years. So they say, well, help us find a car on Craigslist. You know, help. We've never done this before. We've always gotten a used car at the dealership. So lo and behold, they, they end up down here in the Springs, come down from Denver to check out a car on Craigslist. Turns out to be a Craigslist broker. You ever heard of those on Craigslist where they really don't necessarily like are familiar with the car. They bought it from someone else and are trying to sell it to you. And so we decide we need to take it to a mechanic to get it checked out. Good idea, right? If you're ever buying a used car off of Craigslist, pay the 50 bucks and have a mechanic check it out. So we go to this shop that I've been going to for years and he's looking in this car and he sees a few things that he says, this, I got to warn you guys about this. Now, this broker, all of a sudden, he gets really, really defensive, and the trickery just went way, way up. You know, it started off like we were having a good conversation, we're talking about this, we're talking about that, and then I felt like a screw, and he was the screwdriver, and just tightened it down on me, and of course, the mechanic was wrong, and you've all been there, right? You've all been there where someone's trying to deceive you. What's the idea of deception? Taking something that's not so good or bad and then trying to make it look really good and have you take the bait. And that's what Satan's constantly doing. That's what he did to Eve. He, he presented something that was completely disobedience to God, but he put a nice package on it. He, he was crafty in the way that he did this. And that's what's being presented to the church of Corinth, is that their minds would be corrupted with the simplicity of Christ. Now, the word simplicity, it also means purity. It means sincerity. It means single-mindedness. To where the church of Corinth at one point was sincere on the gospel. They had a sincere mindedness and their trust in what Christ has done. But Satan's wanting to come in and to corrupt their minds from the simplicity, the purity, and the sincerity of the gospel. To where they're no longer trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And who's the one who's attempting to do this? False teachers, false apostles that were coming inside of their midst. You cannot think of a more dangerous thing happening to people that you love. Now, wonder Paul's upset. Now, wonder Paul wants to be heard. Now, wonder Paul wants to, to get it straight that the church of Corinth would trust him once again because if you don't get the gospel right, your whole eternity is at stake. If you turn away from the gospel, the simplicity that's in, in Christ Jesus, You've missed the most important thing. We often say this, keep the main thing, what the main thing. Well, what's the main thing? It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want you to see tonight how Satan works. So let's turn back to Genesis chapter three. Let's look at this craftiness, the way that Satan deceived Eve and the way that Satan is continuing to try to deceive or Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, as God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan in his deception, he's going to come and he's going to say this. Has God really said? 
try to get us to doubt the word of God. Has God really said that he forgives all of your sins? Is it really good news? Is it too good to be true? Did Christ really live? Did Christ really die? Does God have a a good plan for your life? Does God really want you to be committed to your spouse? Gets us to doubt the word. And he does it in a very crafty and cunning way. I think a deceptive enemy is a lot more tricky than a a head-on attack. Someone comes, punches you in the nose, you know exactly right where it's coming from. But if someone's deceitful, you don't even know what's hitting you until it's too late. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not have eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She added to God's command. God only said not to eat of it, but she added also that you shouldn't touch it. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will, sure, you will not surely die. So first I'm going to get you to doubt God's word, then I'm going to contradict God's word going to slip that lie in there, going to replace the truth with a lie. For God knows in the the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This wasn't, hey Eve, let's go out and kill somebody. Hey Eve, let's go out and smoke a joint. It's legal. None of that. Let's go get wasted. Let's go get plastered. Let's go rob a bank. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Need some extra Christmas money. What does Satan do? Oh, do you want to be like God? You want to be more spiritual? I wonder if the church of Corinth was at this place where someone's saying, oh, the gospel? That's old hat. If you really want to grow deep in Christ, then, then you need this. Oh, Jesus and him crucified? Why don't, why don't you get a little bit more complex? You need, you need a little bit more philosophy. It's, it's a great cover that's placed on this. Oh, you'll be like God. If you, if you disobey... You'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant for the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate. So she gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Verse six shows us the tools that Satan uses, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Satan's always gonna make lies and sin look good. He's always going to make it look good to leave the gospel in your rearview mirror. Remember last week in our Bible study when Paul told us that there's strongholds and that we don't fight a physical battle, but we fight a spiritual battle? Do we understand that Satan is alive and well trying to corrupt our minds, corrupt our simplicity that's in Christ? He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy so important for us to stay focused on Jesus Christ. Hear me on this. Don't ever let somebody move you from the gospel. You might be saying, what's the gospel? That Jesus died for your sins and he rose again three days later. The heart of a father says, get this right in life, the gospel. You know how you're saved, that Jesus died for you, that he loves you, that he rose again. You're trusting in his works, not in your own works. So let's keep going from Genesis back to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you've not received, or a different gospel, which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. So if someone comes on and they say, well, here's another way that you can be saved. Paul's saying, I think you guys would go for it. 
I think you guys would put up with it. I think you guys would, would listen to it. How about us? If somebody came to you and started to, to preach another gospel, would you follow it? What if they were really charismatic? What if they could really raise their voice and lower their voice and make you cry and make you laugh and all of these amaz- amazing things? Would, would you go for it? What if they were a well-known author, a well-known speaker? What if they were hugely popular? Would you go for it? I hope not. I don't think so. Our hearts need to be solidified in the gospel. Verse 5, For I consider that I'm not an inferior to the most eminent of apostles. Paul's saying, You think that there's some super apostles? Well, I'm not inferior to those chief apostles. The reason that Paul's establishing this is why. Because there's a war on truth. Because he wants to make sure that the church of Corinth remains solidified in the gospel. Verse 6, even though I'm untrained in speech, speech, yet not in knowledge, but we've been thoroughly manifest among you in all things. We don't think of this as Paul, but Paul says, I'm not trained in speech. This is Greek rhetoric, which we, we build off our, our debating from, from today. He said, I'm not trained in that, but what I am trained in is knowledge. Paul says, I know Christ. I know who he is. And I manifest this to you. I think what hurts most for the Apostle Paul is he's saying, guys, you know me. I labored with my own hands among you. You know my life. You know my story. We've done, we've done life, life together. This is illustrated that Paul not having the speech but having the knowledge in Christ, there was this dinner party and there was a famous Shakespearean actor that was there. And so the leader of this dinner party, the host, he says, would you get up and would you quote Psalms 23? And he does it perfectly. Great oration, great flux in his voice, sits down, there's a big applause. There was also a pastor that was sitting there and he said, pastor, would you come and quote Psalms 23? And he quotes it, he stumbles through it, doesn't have all of the articulation correctly, but his voice begins to choke up, begins to tear up at at points. This actor then says, I know Psalms 23, but he knows the shepherd. See the difference? Paul said, I might not be able to come and preach the house down with my words. He wrote earlier to the church of Corinth, I came to you in weakness, not in great speech, but he had the message of Christ down. He knew the shepherd, and he came with that that knowledge. In verse 7, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? Paul's just dealing with the heart of the matter. They think that Paul has wronged them for some reason. So Paul's saying, you know, did I sin against you by not charging you for the gospel? Would you have liked it if I charged you $500 or $5,000? Paul didn't say, well, I'll come and minister to you if there's this much money in in it for me. He's pointing out the generosity that he showed to the church of Corinth. Just like with the true father, a lot of times we don't see the sacrifices that our parents made until we're a parent. My parents just keep getting smarter and smarter every year that I'm alive, right? Start realizing, man, mom and dad did this, mom and man did that, and they they sacrificed with generosity. And it's the same with the apostle Paul. Paul's saying, you don't even realize the kind of gift that I gave, the life that I lived before you, 
In verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. So almost like a supported missionary, where sometimes people go out on the mission field to encourage other believers and minister to unbelievers, and a church will support them. Paul said, other churches gave their resources so I could come to you free of charge. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and, and so I will keep myself. Paul's not sharing these things because he's personally hurt. He's sharing them for the church of Corinth's well-being because truth's at stake. He's saying, if you, if you keep tuning me out, it's going to ultimately result in your destruction. Again, much like our relationship with our parents. Sometimes, you know, our parents might say, well, this is all that I've done for you so that our hearing would be tuned back in so that we would would listen to them, probably much more in our teenage and young adult years. Praise the Lord that those are over for most most of us. If you were in the midst of that, the Lord bless you. We're praying for you. Wouldn't want to go back. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because... I do not love you, God knows. It's a rhetorical question. He's going over the history with the church of Corinth and his generosity that he showed to this church. Verse 12, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Paul's fighting for the church of Corinth here. So I'm going to keep doing this to cut off those that are a danger to you, these false prophets, these false apostles. Verse 13, and this is continuing in the caution. This is continuing in the warning. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into the angel of light. They're rejecting Paul to receive false apostles who are transforming themselves into angels of light, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. This word transforming, it means masquerading. It's where you're not showing the true colors. You're presenting something that's not genuine on the inside. It's wolves in sheep's clothing. The nature of a wolf is to devour and destroy, but they put themselves in sheep's clothing. An interesting thing about the nature of Satan and the attack of Satan is he masks or raids himself as an angel of light. So the false apostles will put on a false facade of light to lead us down a path of destruction. If you look at most false religions, this is what you're going to find, is it started with some spiritual experience that involved the light. Joseph Smith, who founded Mormonism, claims that he saw God the Father and Jesus Christ, and he received the revelation that's known as the Book of of Mormon. Unfortunately, it contradicts the scripture. So what experience did he have? I suggest to you he had an experience with Satan. He had an experience with demons. It's demonic in nature. It's a, a false gospel, a false Jesus Christ leading people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. But it's a lot easier to deceive people if you put it in a package of light. We look at Muhammad 
who, of course, is the father of the Muslim religion. And he expresses that angel Gabriel came to him. He claims 23 times that the angel Gabriel came to him, and he wrote down what is known as the the Quran. And you'll find that the Quran is contradictory to the gospel, that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. But it was a spiritual experience. It was the angel Gabriel. Do you think it was the angel Gabriel? No. It's Satan or demons coming and deceiving Muhammad, and now tons of people are led down this path. Take a walk in Manitou Springs. I know believers are like, I don't go to Manitou Springs. It creeps me out, you know. There's weird stuff going on over there. Yeah, there is weird stuff going on over there, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen, right? Go there prayerfully, go there wise, and you'll see there's all this light, all these things of, of light, but then what's behind it? Wiccan, demonic worship, witchcraft, all those things, but they want to present it in this light. A lot of people that get deceived and led away from Christ and the scripture explain that they saw some kind of light, like light at the end of the tunnel. Well, guess what it is? It's a train coming at you full speed ahead. It's a train of destruction. It's called lies, lies. So what I want us to hear tonight is the heart of, of Paul as a spiritual father, but more so the heart of our dad, our heavenly father, saying, look, here's my motivation. Here's my heart. I want to present you faultless for the day that you're going to be married to Christ, that you would be devoted, that you would be solidified in the gospel, that nothing would move you from Jesus Christ. And don't be tricked just because something spiritual and it has this warm feeling of light that it's necessarily the truth. So we have to examine this in our lives. We're in prayer, we're in worship, and all of a sudden we get this revelation. Well, great. Not discounting that, but if it's from God, it's gonna line up with scripture. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking with someone and they describe to me that God is leading them to do something that's completely contrary to scripture. And they've got this wonderful spiritual experience. And a lot of times they're dating or with somebody that's not their spouse. They're married And they're seeing somebody who's not their spouse and they explain to me, we have such wonderful fellowship in the Lord. Our prayer times are fabulous. I've never had this with my spouse. This has to be the Lord. God wants me to be happy. Gong. You're listening to the gospel of America, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants you to be holy. And this is what the Bible says. You're to be committed to your spouse and you're in adultery. You need to repent and get right with the Lord but it feels so good. It feels so warm. You're headed towards the train. You're headed towards the train of destruction. Sin always feels good. Hebrews tells us that there's pleasure in sin for a season. If sin wasn't enjoyable, no one would do it. But then it's like a huge wrecking ball that comes and destroys our lives. Church, we need to be wise in this in our own lives. We need to be wise in this when it comes to the youth of our church our teenagers, our our young adults, our elementary age students. Man, the enemy's coming after them. Heart was broken this week. A young man uh, committed suicide at TCA, the classical academy. He was a sophomore in high school, and he killed himself Tuesday night. A lot of our families are connected with TCA. A lot of our high school students, they go to TCA. It impacts your hearts and, and your lives. Most of you have probably heard of this story by this point in the week. And you know who's behind that? Satan. 
He's crafty. He's lying. He's lying to our young people saying, it's not worth it. It'd be better if you, you ended your life. And we go back to chapter 10. I want you to go back to chapter 10 for just a moment and look again at verses three and four. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds. We need to see the lies of the enemy. I'm speaking to myself. I need to be on my knees for my own kids and the youth of this church and the youth of this community. It's not just the youth. The lies of the enemy are going rampant. He's having a field day. He just puts on a little light show and people go, oh, I'm a moth. I'm going to run right to it. And we need to be wise. We need to see it. We need to be praying. We need to be speaking the truth. Well, we risk like Paul risks. Paul risks something here with the church of Corinth because he sees people he cares for going into the trap of the enemy. Do you see people that you care for going into the trap of the enemy? Do you love them enough to speak to them? Paul does. He says, this is real. Satan comes as an angel of light to kill, to steal, and destroy. How do we overcome? Verses three and four of chapter 10. We use the spiritual weapons that God's provided in prayer, and using the armor of the Lord that God has provided. Verse 15 of chapter 11, Therefore, it is no greater thing if, he, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. They can put on the masquerade, but ultimately their end will be according to their works. Verse 16, I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly, in this confidence of boasting, see that many boast according to the flesh, I will boast. So Paul's saying this is foolishness. I shouldn't have to go over my credentials, but it's worth it because it's a truth war. In verse 19, for you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. Paul's saying you put up with these false teachers. You put up with these false apostles. So wouldn't you put up with me for just a moment for me to go over my credentials with you once again? Something to consider in this is if the church of Corinth was missing out on someone who was a spiritual influence in their life, they demonized someone who was actually a positive influence of truth. Could it be in our own deception that we've opened ourselves up to someone that we should reject and we've rejected someone that we should receive from? Isn't that like Satan? I'm gonna get you to not trust somebody you should trust and then trust somebody that you shouldn't trust. Have I lost you? Because if the, I don't think the church of Corinth, you know, when we look at them, they're real people who love the Lord that got off track. So if that could happen to them, it could happen to us. I wouldn't want to miss an apostle Paul in my life. But if they could do it, I know that I could do it as well. In verse 21, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in, whatever in, but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So Paul says, here I go. I'm going to do this foolishness. I'm going to lay it down. Here goes my credentials. Are you guys ready for this? You'd think Paul would then say, this is all the churches that God's allowed me to start. 
This is all the studying that I've done. You, you, here's my resume. Think about if you're trying to get a job and you put all those best things down, down on the resume. And again, Paul really wants to be heard by the church of Corinth because there's a lot at stake. Instead of listing all of his accomplishments, which he has many, he lists his affliction. And that's our third thing tonight. We see his motivation as a father. We see his caution as a father. And we see his affliction as a father. Now, I want to speak to your heart tonight. If you're with me, I know it's Wednesday night. We've all had long days. If you want to be a spiritual father, if you want to be a spiritual mother, if you want to have the kind of impact that the Apostle Paul did, there is going to be affliction involved. It comes with that being a father, being a mother. You have a lot of instructors, but you only have a few fathers. Why? Because very few people are willing to go through the affliction, to go through the suffering. It's our joy as a parent. I do things for my kids that I don't do for other things because they're my kids. And I love them. And there's, there's a calling that goes with it. And the same way if you say, you know what, I want to make disciples. I want to impact people for, for Christ. I want to have that kind of legacy. Well, it's going to involve affliction. And your affliction actually is your credentials in ministry. It's completely different than the world. So Paul lists his affliction for us. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Speaking of these false apostles, are they Hebrews? Well, I'm a Hebrew. Are they an Israelite? I'm an Israelite. Seed of Abraham? Me too. Paul's making that distinction between Jews that spoke just primarily the Greek language. They were known as Hellenists. And Paul's saying, I'm not a Hellenist. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of this lock, stock, and barrel, and I speak Hebrew. I got the Levi genes and everything. Verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. So are they, are they servants of Christ? Are they serving Christ? Well, I'm going to be foolish. I'm going to have to stoop to this level. Well, I serve Christ more. In labors, more abundantly. I don't think anybody worked harder than the Apostle Paul. He, he labored, many times laboring with his hands and building tents, supporting his ministry, in stripes, above measure, in prison, more frequently, in deaths, often. Stripes are speaking of being whipped. He was, he was whipped for his love for Christ and persecution. He's thrown in prison multiple times, frequently. He says, I'm, I'm a frequent... Visitor to prison, probably not like prison today. Probably didn't get a higher education while he was in prison. Didn't get to work out and watch cable TV. Not that it would be easy to be in prison today, but I think it was a little more difficult for the Apostle Paul. In deaths often. This isn't saying that he died often. It said that he had death threats often. The Apostle Paul would probably open his mail. Oh, great, another death threat. Get his text messages. Oh, great, another death threat. Yeah. Got onto his Facebook and read his tweets. Someone tweeted him, I'm going to kill you. Great, another good day at the office. You know, it was just part of life for the Apostle Paul. And we read the book of Acts, and he often had his life in jeopardy. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. The Jews, uh, in the synagogue, when they whipped someone in punishment, they prescribed 39 lashings. And this took place for him five different times. 
History tells us that many times a person would die from this type of beating. The Mishnah, which was the Hebrew writing, said the person that was doing the beating was not accountable if they killed someone. So if you wanted to, you could just go for it and thrash someone even to the point of death. One of the things that Paul prayed in his life is that he would be able to fellowship with Christ's suffering. Christ was whipped, was beaten in this manner. I think the Apostle Paul had great fellowship with Christ. He, he shared that in common with Christ. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day, a night and day I have been in the deep. So three times he was beaten up with rods. And then one time he was stoned. The book of Acts records that he was left outside the city for dead. Shipwrecked three different times. One of those times is recorded in the book of Acts. Spends a night and day out in the sea, struggling for his life out in the deep. In journeys, often. When you trace the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, homeboy knew how to travel. You know what I'm saying? And it was by foot, he's walking, he's walking, he's walking. Why? To tell people the gospel, to see churches planted. He didn't get frequent flyer miles either. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Everywhere he went, there was danger. And I got it all. He says, even when I was in the wilderness, there was perils. Perils of robbers, my own countrymen, false teachers, all there. In weariness, and in toil. The Apostle Paul was not a superman. Didn't have superpower. It wore him out. Times where he was just absolutely tired. And he toiled. Sleeplessness, often. I don't think that this was the kind of sleeplessness that we get that's like, oh, I just can't sleep. What happens to me is I drink coffee too late in the day. If I ever seem really wiry during my sermons, it's because I just had a big cup of coffee, right? Now that I'm getting a little bit older, if I do it too late in the day, I can't go to sleep. This isn't the kind of sleeplessness that Paul was talking about. He couldn't find a place to sleep. Didn't have a comfortable place to sleep. It was cold and sleeplessness. Not a good bed to, to lie down on. In hunger and thirst, times where he didn't have food because of his calling in Christ. And then other times where he didn't even have clothes, in hunger, in thirst, in fasting often, in cold, and in nakedness. There's some that teach this. If you follow God's call upon your life, that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're never going to get sick. You're going to have lots of money. So come on, follow Jesus Christ, and you too will be a millionaire. And the closer you get to God, the more prosperity that you have. Well, what in the world happened to the Apostle Paul? He missed it somewhere. He just maybe didn't have enough faith. He wasn't obedient enough to, to the Lord. Now, th that's not true. We're never promised prosperity. We're never promised that everything is going to go our way. Sometimes the Lord ordains affliction for us, and Paul went through these tough times. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. So Paul says, on top of all of this physical suffering, I have this deep concern for all of the churches, and that's the heart of a father. You always carry the concern for your kids, don't you? 
no matter what their age is. You love them, you care for them, you pray for them. And that weighed upon Paul even more than anything else. And you see in his letters, he was always praying for the churches, praying for the churches, concerned for their well-being, writing letters, traveling, visiting. The care of the churches was a deep call that God had put upon him. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and might not burn with indignation? So he's showing his holy anger when someone is made to stumble. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my affirmity. My affirmity. Paul's going to pick up on this theme when we get together and study the next chapter. But what I want us to see here tonight is this. Paul says, I'm going to boast in my infirmities. He sees the benefit in his affirmities. He sees his benefit in his affliction. When you suffer... When you suffer for righteousness' sake, when you suffer for your calling, when you suffer for following Jesus Christ, when God allows difficulty in your life, it's your megaphone to speak truth. It's your God-given microphone to be able to declare the power of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. A lot of times people don't listen to what we have to say until we've suffered, until there's some affliction that's behind it. How could the church of Corinth not realize that they have a spiritual father who loves them and cares for them when he sees them going to this extent to care for their souls? Paul didn't say, here's my education. Here's my success as a church planter. He says, here's the way that I was willing to suffer for you. And the church of Corinth gets that. They go, oh yeah, I need to listen. You have a proven track record of being willing to suffer. God does great things through suffering. He does great things through affliction. I know this is true, but I don't like it. I don't like it in my life. I don't like it in your life. It's not easy. It's difficult, but it's worthwhile. Paul says, I'm going to boast in my afflictions. I'm going to boast in my affirmities. Then God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Paul says, I didn't make all this up. This is the truth of what I've actually gone through. And he ends with this. In Damascus, the governor, under Artus, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Paul goes back to his conversion. He was headed to Damascus to arrest Christians. He gets saved, goes into the city, They get concerned about him. They want to come to arrest him, and he's let down. And he goes back to this experience in his life, and he adds this to his list of sufferings. So as we close tonight, how do you think Paul could suffer like this? How do you think he could sign up for this? Say, yeah, count me in. I want that. Go back to chapter 4, and I want us to look at verses 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians 4 Verses 16, 17, and 18. I think that the answer is provided for us. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We have a greater understanding of why Paul's outward man was perishing. He was perishing from age, but is also perishing from his hardships that he was going through. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul takes this huge, gargantuous dinosaur of a list, and he says it's light. Our light affliction is but for a moment because he was focused on eternity. And when we focus on eternity, I think it causes our affliction to be light. We go, I'm in. It's worth it. In eternity, it's worth it. If we could bring Easy Eddie back and he had the pulpit tonight, do you think he'd make the same decision? Think he would rattle on Al Capone so his son could move forward in life? Absolutely. I think he would do it a hundred times over because that's the heart of a father. If Paul were here tonight, would he go, you know, I'll take about half of that affliction and the rest of it, I would have liked an easier life. I don't think so. I think he'd say, I'd do it again in a heartbeat because that's the heart of a father. When we look into eternity, it's hope for us, but it's also stirring for everybody around us. We go, I want to make sure that they don't lose the simplicity of the gospel if they're a believer. If they don't know Christ their Savior, oh, I want them to know Christ. I want them to be in heaven. So let's pray together. Fathers, we've had this time in your word. We pray we'd be encouraged, that we would see your heart. We ask that you would cause our souls to be cemented in the gospel, that we wouldn't move from the purity, the sincerity, the simplicity of the gospel. We ask that you would bind Satan in our lives, in the lives of our youth, in the lives of this community, that we wouldn't be tricked, that we wouldn't be deceived, God. We know that your truth is what conquers those lies. We admit we don't desire affliction. We don't pray for affliction. But when you do allow affliction in our lives, would you give us a greater vision of heaven, a greater reality of heaven? Lord, for those that are suffering tonight, would you give them a greater picture of the hope that lies before us? We pray our lives would count. We pray that we could lay our lives down for others and that others would be reached for eternity. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.